Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. Specifically, I want to mention to you uh, Bob and Jimmy Lou, Trusty, and uh, just pray, be praying for them, and, uh, and also for Patsy Van Hook. Patsy had surgery a few weeks ago and is not recovering well. Uh, and so she, we just need to pray for her. I won't go into all of that detail, but I told her yesterday that we'd be praying for her this morning, and so we want to do that as well. So if you, if you have, I'm, I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if you'd just like to know that your church is praying for you, whatever it is that's going on in your life, if you'll just stand, we're going to have a word of prayer together. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, I just pray for these who publicly are desiring or willing to, uh, to call upon you and to have brothers and sisters join them in that prayer. I just pray, Lord, for your peace. I pray for your healing. I pray for your, your wisdom uh, to, be, to be near, to, know, uh, to help us, Lord, to guard our, our hearts and also our thoughts and to take every thought captive to you and that while our circumstances may not change, our peace certainly can. And I do pray that, that your, your hand would be clearly felt uh, among our, our congregation. Lord, whether they're in this room or whether they're at home in the living room or whether they're in a rehab bed, I just pray, Lord, that, that your people would feel your presence very near to them and that that peace that we, that we can feel from your spirit, the promise of the Prince of Peace and his closeness to us would be so real that it, would, uh, that it certainly would change our perspective and our heart. And Lord, I just ask specifically for, uh, for Patsy this morning while she's absent from us, I just ask that you would do a work that we would be able to testify of your goodness and your grace. We do pray for healing, but Lord, we don't know what your will is. And so we want you to be clearly evident through her life, uh, just like you always have been. And so uh, we just lift all of these up to you and ask your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 5, slowly working our way through the Beatitudes. Uh, I'm not going to do a whole lot of recap uh, today. Uh, hopefully you've been able to keep up uh, week to week. And then also when we you know, go online, you can go back and look at those if you would like. I think it's been very helpful to me. And just to be quite honest, the longer we go, the more it's kicking my teeth in. Uh, it's harder and harder to, uh, to see uh, you know, the evidence of last week, especially, I'm just going to be honest with you last week, blessed are the merciful for they will have mercy and, uh, have mercy, right? I prayed specifically all last week in studying and preparation and, and was asking the Lord, uh, last week, please show me in my life where I'm not merciful. Cause honestly, I move on pretty quick. Uh, if someone does something to me or hurts me, I can move on pretty quick. Now, things eat my lunch initially, but once I get closure, uh, I, I can move on quick. And so I thought that was an easy prayer, but all week long, the Lord has revealed to me where I need a lot of work. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that, but at the same time, uh, it's getting harder and harder each week to see Christ. So I want to start out by looking at Psalm 119. You don't have to turn there. It's a familiar passage, but if you're taking notes, jot it down, go back and read it. Uh, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? 
How can a young man keep his way pure? And what seems like a rhetorical question, the answer is by guarding it according to your word. So how can a young man keep his way pure? Because in the world, that's virtually impossible. But how can we do it? Well, he says, by guarding it according to your word, with my whole heart, I seek you. So we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about settling for values instead of virtues. And I'm not going to go into, again, a lot of uh, explanation as to what I mean by that. But we have to be careful of not settling for values instead of virtues. Values are what we say are valuable. Virtues are what comes out of our character that establishes values. It is a dangerous game that our culture is playing. And I'm just going to tell you, while most of my life I've been able to pray, God, turn us around, I've kind of shifted gears in praying. I just can't sense the peace of praying that God turn us around. I think the gap is going to continue to get wider and wider and wider. I don't see us going back to a moral place. I think that we are moving toward the end days, and I don't speak that way very often, but I think that Jesus Christ's second coming is imminent upon us. I think that it could be at any moment, and while we wait, this world is going to continue to spiral out of control. I didn't know if it would be in my lifetime. I hoped that it would be in my lifetime, but I've heard most of my life that it's the end days, but it's easy now to see more clearly that we're, we're spiraling out of control. There may not be a second wave of revival. There may be a great falling away uh, is as likely as a renewed revival in our, in our days. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to speak negatively. I'm just trying to speak realistically. This is a time for the church not to lose heart because of a lack of a revival. This is a time for us to gain steam because we know what the foe looks like now. We're not looking to lean on each other and say, hey, our best days are ahead of us. It's time for us to say, hey, how do we go to war? That's what we should be gearing up for, is how do we do battle in a world that's not like us? And I'm not saying to be angry about it. That's why the temperaments of the Beatitudes are so important, because it tells us how to flourish in this type of uh, environment. But when we begin to talk about settling for values instead of virtues, it's, it sets individual freedoms. Now, I'm going to philosophize for just a few moments, but it sets the groundwork for Matthew chapter 5, this particular passage, okay? So stay with me for just a few moments while we turn some of this over. Uh, we, we start talking about individual freedoms, and I want you to just think about watching the news for a moment, okay? Or, or reading a news feed or whatever it may be. It sets individual freedoms before responsibility. Everybody is, talks a lot more about freedoms than we talk about responsibility. It moves from the greatest generation to this generation, from doing what is right for society because it's right and it's good for us, it has turned into, but what's good for me? What, what can I benefit from this? It turns everyone inward instead of outward. It creates division, not peace. And we see this escalating in our personal culture among many of those who have not been raised under the influence of the church, under the influence of Jesus' teaching, under the influence of Jesus' followers. 
It says something like this, and I'm not trying to tell you to change the, what you say necessarily, but I think it's clearly identified with this. When you do something that someone else may not agree with or, or vice versa, here's a very common thing to say now. You know what? You be you. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, you just be you, or I'm just gonna be me. Uh, we hear this all the time, and it's kind of created this idea of, I don't really need anybody to agree with me. I don't need you to affirm what I believe. I'm just gonna do me. I'm just doing me, right? Again, I'm not trying to get you not to say that. What I am trying to say is, you better be careful about the things that you say and hear because it does begin to set into a culture a way of thinking. It sounds freeing to say something like that. It sounds flourishing, like, like we've experienced some kind of individual expression of freedom. But the truth of the matter is, this kind of thinking is bonding and it brings us to personal death. It actually goes so far, and I'm gonna use a quick illustration, and again, I know that this is polarizing, but think about even gender, Right? Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but who would think that we would ever have gender identification in a, in a conversation to where we get to identify with which gender that we are? The only person that should be involved in gender identification is the doctor that delivers us. But because of individual expression, it demands that. It eventually sees gender not as something that you inherit biologically or spiritually, but it is something that you can create or you can choose or you can feel. You choose your gender because you are whatever you want to be, whatever you identify with. There are no constraints except one. And Shakespeare, I think, said it pretty well through Hamlet when he said, to thine own self, what? So who do you have to be true to? This is just another way of saying, follow your heart. Just do whatever you want. To. I tell you what, Shakespeare, this is a paraphrase, you be you. What drives this idea also drives suspicion toward any sort of purity standard. So in other words, everyone gets to identify or redefine what purity actually means. And when Jesus is giving us the list of things that build to Christ-likeness, he says, you can look at verse 8, blessed, this is Matthew chapter 5, I'm sorry. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, if there's no standard for purity, I get to identify with what I believe is pure. This becomes a very dangerous game. Now, I know most of us aren't sitting in a room somewhere and thinking through all the philosophy of this. We just go with the flow by the influences we're influenced by and the people we're in a relationship with, and this is where we end up when we don't set our eyes on Jesus firmly. Today, the individual's core feeling is supreme. What matters most is not what other people say or what religion or what philosophy says or even what the law says. What rules is how I feel. How do I feel? How I date, how I live in relationships, how I spend my money, what I do with my time, what I do with my family, what I do with my career, what I do with my sexuality are governed by me and no one else. It's my body, it's my right 
Nobody gets to tell me anything different. I'm free. But I don't think we understand the bondage that that creates because we do not have the capacity for our own personal freedoms to lead to life. It cannot happen. Jesus teaches us the the truth and the way and the life. And when I choose my own freedoms, it will never produce life. So I have to place myself under the authority of another standard, of another truth, of another way. And as long as I'm true to myself, my inner longings and my desires, that's what's pure. That's what's noble. That's what's valuable. And it's bigoted. It's hateful. It's, it's ignorant. It's offensive to suggest otherwise. So for the modern self, purity is being consistent with what you feel is good, true, desirable not what any outside authority has to say. And so in doing this, what we run the risk of doing is legitimizing the wants and the desires of self and we turn them into needs and rights. It's not new. It's natural. It's unhinged. It's what will always happen. This is why the Bible speaks so often about this issue. It is the ultimate destination for those who are not following the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't, if we don't govern what we think, if we don't govern how we feel, if we don't place that under the authority of Jesus Christ, this is where we always end up. Brother against brother, we're only out for our selfish, selfishness and our own ambition. And we will convince ourselves that we are right because we are the only advice that we're listening to. Now, it's easy for me, and I want to take just a second and turn this because it's easy for us as a church, as followers of Christ, who probably already know many of these things, to turn around to the world that's trying to drag us into the dredges and just point our finger. That is so easy for us to do. But let me remind you of something. This is our natural neutral. This, this kind of feel-good, self-expression society, and you turn on the TV, you can't go five seconds without seeing it. I just about promise you. You can't go five seconds. It's everywhere. It's even in the churches. But if you want to point your fingers at anybody, we need to look in the mirror because this is exactly what a culture looks like apart from the gospel. If the gospel is the cure, then the church is the one responsible for administrating the cure. If you want to get upset with a society who doesn't know who they are or what they should be identifying with, guess who was responsible for that? It was us. So we can't get angry. We can't get mad. We can't draw lines in the sand. We have to learn how to flourish and to show this world a better way. Refusing to limit, I'm going to use a couple of illustrations quickly to kind of prove another point. Refusing to limit self-expression will be and is very destructive to the individual, but also very destructive to the society. I've been reading this week and on uh, May 29th of 2015, Ross Ulbright was uh, is a graduate of Penn State. Some of you may know him and you may not. It may not matter. 
but he was sentenced to double life imprisonment plus 40 years. And if you don't know him, he actually invented or established the Silk Road. Anybody ever heard of the Silk Road? The Silk Road, is the, it's the dark net. It's where you can get all things not legal, right? He established it in 2013 and uh, was kind of a genius to do so. But this was a place that you could log into and get anything you want, anything. This guy would launder money for you. Uh, it was all kinds of secret transactions, identity fraud, uh, trafficking of narcotics, uh, assault rifles. He, he would sell poison uh, that you couldn't get anywhere else or at least connect people who could. Uh, this, the dark web is, uh, the Silk Road is where a whole lot of uh, body part people get kidnapped and body parts would be cut off and they would sell them, you know, for um, whatever reason that you wanted them and sometimes even uh, child trafficking and uh, illegal adoptions and uh, at, one, at one point, there were 15 contract killings out on there where you could pay someone to kill someone for you if you wanted to pay enough money. Now, this is, a, this is hor- horrendous, right? And we think, this, how could anybody think that this is a, a good idea? So <laughs> when he was arrested and he used in his, pre- before this, he used a, a, a screen name, an avatar, and messed up and used the same avatar on it and they busted him. Not that I'm sad about that, but uh, such a young, such a young kid. But when Judge Catherine Forrest passed his sentence, she said this, what you did was terribly destructive to our social fabric. Here's what he said. The only reason I bring this illustration up is I want you to hear what he said. He was just a couple of years ahead of us. He said, I'm not a self-centered sociopathic person that was trying to express some inner badness, but I do love freedom. And I wanted to empower people to be able to make their choices in their lives. Did that seem noble? I wanted to empower people to have freedom without restraint. And that's where it takes us. That took two years. But contrary to his plea, Albright's desire to offer freedom did unleash an inner badness. It always does. Jesus knows true freedom must have moral restraint, a moral standard, an absolute. But Albright was consistent with his beliefs, reflecting a a, a kind of inner purity. If you were to say, is he pure? We would say, no, he's not. But to his own self, he was true. He did exactly what he said he was valuing. It came at the expense of a greater good. But here's what personal freedoms always will do. It will always come at the expense of the greater good. Just think about what would happen if you had a group of people and say, hey, do you have any causes that you would die for? Yes. All right, hey, let's join together and let's uh, put our our efforts together. And that sounds good, right? But if expressive individualism is what unites us, it will eventually divide us. Let me explain. Someone puts forth the vision for the group. 
They all agree, but they begin to realize that their individual passions aren't being adopted by the group because one person is passionate about adoption. Another is dedicated to ending human trafficking. Another is adamant about racial justice. Others are, you know, they're all commendable and each wants what, you know, their, their cause. But someone said, you know what? We don't need to worry about these causes. We need to worry about more about the gospel. What about eternity? Is it stake? We need to share the gospel. Of course, external actions matter even if our internal motivations are noble. Let me, I know that I sound old and I don't want to. I want to sound right, but I fear I sound old. But I think about all of the noble things that people do today. And in order to show you how noble they are, we're all the time snapping selfies to show people where we are and how good of the things that we're doing. You know what I mean? That makes sense? I mean, you... I've seen selfies of people praying with people and taking pictures of themselves doing it. What? Is it right to pray with people? Is it good to pray with people? Is it, is it good to pray with people even if you're taking a picture of yourself? I don't know. But I know this, it's good, it's not virtuous. Take, for instance, somebody who's serving at a, at a, at a kitchen, a, a homeless shelter, and they feed all day long. Is that a good thing to do, to sacrifice your time to go feed at the homeless shelter? What about if you take a moment and you get your arm around one of them and snap your picture to tell all your friends how noble and good you are? I value poor people. I value serving people. Valuable? Yes. And it's good to do the right thing because these people need someone to care for them. But is it virtuous? Is it pure? Maybe internal. Is it pure external? Yes. But is it pure of heart? Is it the right thing for the right motivation? And that's what Jesus is trying to drive us to is we can do good things all day long. You can do good things and your heart not be right. You can even feel good about things and never accomplish a thing for the right reasons. But here's the trick. Jesus tells us what kind of heart we are to have. Pure of heart, pure of heart. That means that your actions are coming from your motivations. But where do I derive my motivations? By being merciful. But why am I merciful? Because I hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because I recognize I have nothing in and of myself. I'm meek, I'm, I'm humble socially. I don't care what people think about me. Dropping down one more step to I am mourning my sin. I recognize emotionally who I am. And which brings me to blessed are those that are poor in spirit who recognize they have nothing to offer God. That's how you can arrive at pure of heart. You have to go through the progression. If you don't go through the progression and you just want to jump in and do good and be pure, you're going to miss it on one side or the other. This makes sense. I want, us to, I want us to guard this so closely. I don't want to speak too much or too far. I want you to understand how susceptible every one of us is to work on being pure. But if we work on being pure in our flesh, we'll corrupt it on one or the other side. That's why pure of heart is so incredibly important because your heart, Jeremiah says, uh, 17, says that your heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can trust it? If you only listen to the counsel of your heart, you're going to destroy yourself. 
and society with it. This is why we can't follow our heart. We can't trust our heart. We can't to our own self be true. We can't because we don't have the capacity. All right, I w- just a few minutes, if you turn over to Psalm 24 for a moment. I'm going to shift. Psalm 24. I want you to listen closely because we've ex- I think we've expressed the dangers of trying to be pure in the flesh. And if you want to know, it's because America has not centered itself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate end if you're not centered into the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will have the arrogance to actually believe your own heart. And we can't live that way and expect to flourish in the kingdom of God. Okay, Psalm 24. I'm going to start in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Now he's talking about this is an allegory, but he's talking about the presence of God himself. Okay, you can read it for its con- context uh, later. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who can be in his presence? Who can see God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord. You see that? You see how beautiful Matthew chapter 5 compares with Psalm chapter 24? The promised blessing is for those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who are clean both inside and outside, motivations and actions. Good actions are not enough. Neither is being true to yourself. But for, so for the soul to flourish... It has to come alive in Christ. It must be pure inside and outside. So often we try to change the world by externals. But our externals change as our inward motivations look more and more like Jesus. You don't have to worry about the clean hands if you start with a pure heart because your hands won't be attracted to the deceitful. It won't be attracted to the dirt and the grime and the filth of personal self-expression. It'll see it for what it is. In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, the only way to have a pure heart is to realize you have an impure heart. Can't work on making that better. The heart throughout all of Scripture is the name for where we find the center of a person, right? You go all the way back to the very beginning when the Bible uses the word heart. It's talking about the totality of, of a person. It's the complete personality. It's what, how we're wired. It's not the beating muscle in our chest. So it's, it's who you are. It's the center of you. It incorporates the mind, but it's not just the mind. It incorporates the emotions, but it's not just the emotions. It includes the affections, but not just the affections, and also the will. In in fact, the heart encompasses the whole person, body, soul, mind, spirit. All of that together is the heart. So if you want to be pure 
in a way that causes you to flourish in the kingdom of God, you have to be pure of heart. Every component of your life. Not giving him some, not giving him compartments, all of you. The promise, the reality is, blessed are the pure in heart, or the pure in heart will flourish in the kingdom of God because they'll be able to see him. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus again is speaking to the Pharisees there. He says, in verse 18, if you want to jot it down, Jesus said, but what comes out of the mouth, that's the external, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from, anybody remember? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. The Pharisees were walking around, they were just walking as legalists. I mean, somebody ate something they shouldn't have eaten. They were blasphemers. Did you know that on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees made 300 and some rules up in addition to what the law said because they were trying to protect people. That if you had a chair and you wanted to sit in it, you couldn't drag it on Saturday because you would, you would through the dirt, uh, it would dig a trench and that was digging a ditch on the Sabbath day. You couldn't work. So if you, want, you had to sit wherever the chair was that day. So on Friday, you better put that chair wherever you wanted to sit the next day because if you didn't, you were a blasphemer. You were a heretic, anathema to the Pharisees. Isn't that ridiculous? It's not that ridiculous when you compare the situation that we find ourselves today. Jesus had come up with the message of God and his message was the gospel of the heart, not the gospel of the externals. And we love to get caught up in the externals because those things we can control, we can see. But what Jesus was putting into their minds is this. It's not what you put into your body that defiles you. Well, I think it doesn't defile you spiritually, but there are things that, you know, I think a hot fudge cake immediately there, but... Although you can do things that will defile you, the primarily pro- primary problem is not what you put into your mouth. It's what you've cultivated in your heart. Because of your heart's condition, all these things that you do with your hands, that you look upon with your eyes, that you think up in your mind, all of those things come from who you really are. Now, I know that there are things that you look at that you're tempted by. There's things that you think that you uh, think There's things that you touch that you know you shouldn't touch. There's ways that you feel that you know you shouldn't feel. And you tell yourself, I know that's not good. I've got to do better. That's focusing on the externals. You're trying to get to a point of purity. The point of purity comes from dealing with the internals, the heart. And you cannot accomplish that apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, let's go ahead and continue to read there. I love it. Psalm 24, back to Psalm 24. Sorry, I should have told you that. The psalmist asked the question, who can come to God? Who can approach God? Who can be in his presence? Those with a clean hands and a pure heart. Listen to this in uh, verse five. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see the blessing there? 
Verse six, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who can ascend to the hill? Who can come into the presence of God and see him? Whoever has clean hands and a pure heart. Look at verse eight. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Now, before you think, okay, I can just come into the presence of God if I can have clean hands and a pure heart, then I will receive the blessing. Here's the rhetorical question. Who can see God? Clean hands, pure heart. Not you. There's only one. Who is this king of glory? Who is the one that is righteous on the inside and is proof by what he does on the outside? Oh, it's the king of glory. There is only one. You can work your entire life. You will never be pure in heart, period. You can keep trying to do better and better and you may be a better person than you used to be, but that's still flowing out of a carnal, nasty, darkened heart that can't be trusted can't do it. That's why in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And you know what? He was the remedy for that problem. He was the cure for our impurity. In fact, on the cross, the sinless, perfect son of God, like a magnet attracted every impurity that the world will ever see. And he died for it. And he rose again. And then he gave his spirit to us as an inner vessel to contain his purity. And he tells us, if you want to be pure of heart, you better make sure that you know who I am. Singular in focus. Pure in heart means singular in focus. That means that everything I do, everything that I do is folded into, in fact, Matthew chapter six, verse 22. Turn over there real quick. I'm almost done. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, I want to take a second, and I want to talk about that word healthy. I don't know. I love the English Standard Version, but that word is a very interesting word. In fact, most of you know it already in Greek. It's the word catharsis. Isn't that a great Greek word? It even sounds Greek. It's, it's such a good word, we didn't change it. You think about, you go see a psychologist, And you kind of have a cathartic moment, right? What's that mean? It means that my mind has been purified. My heart has been purified. If you go to the doctor and your kidney is dirty, what does they do? Put in a catheter, what's it do? It helps my body get to be pure again, right? Over and over, we see this in the medical world all the time. It's the way that the ancients used to use uh, to purify metal. It means that there's only one type, every other has been drossed off, and it's pure. So this word, and there's probably a dozen definitions and it all means exactly the same thing. It means to take one thing that has multiple parts and to keep purifying it and folding it into each other. Another good translation is whole. So the translators thought healthy was a good word, but I want you to understand that the word cathartic actually means single because it is so pure. It is not in competition. Now let's go back and read it with that idea in mind. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is whole, your whole body will be full of light. What he is saying is 
in this same context of where he's drawing us into his kingdom, kingdom followers, is that our eyes have to be singular focus, being able to look at Jesus in every part of our life. There cannot be a part of your life that you keep away from him because every little small part completely contaminates all the rest of it. I mean, it's like having on a white dress shirt with a little dot of spaghetti on it. Does anybody see the white spot? Nope, the whole shirt needs to be washed, right? It's exactly, well, I don't think it's exactly what Jesus is saying, but it's a good illustration of what Jesus is saying is that unless you find your righteousness in Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again so that we might be the righteousness of Christ, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Blessed are those who hunger and seek after him. And then you will receive his mercy. And once you receive his mercy, guess what you're going to want to do? You give your entire life to him, bowing the knee, ascending the holy hill. I remember back in a day when my wife and I were first uh, acquainting ourselves with each other. And there wasn't a moment of any day that I wasn't thinking about her. Uh, I would say to remember that, but none of you dated her. But do you remember when you were uh, creating a relationship maybe with a significant other? And they even, say, they even say it today, but especially back then, how many of you ever heard the concept of, oh, they're seeing each other now? Anybody ever heard that? Come on, this, this is, you're not sitting at home on the couch anymore. Uh, all right. Oh yeah, they're seeing each other. You know what's that mean? Well, it means that there were things in my life that I sacrificed, that I cut off so that I could see her and spend time with her, right? But let me tell you something. When I couldn't sacrifice something to be with her, I still saw her. I saw her everywhere. I saw her in my mind. I saw her on my papers. I scribbled her name. I saw her in notes that I would write her. When I'm gone for two or three days, I'm looking at pictures and I'm seeing her. I'm consumed with seeing her. I see her in, if I see a flower, I want to pick it. If I see a, a cloud, I imagine. If I, whatever it is, it reminds me of her. Know what I mean? So here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure of heart who are single in focus because all you'll be able to see is God. Here, now. Everywhere you look, you see him in nature, you see him in the scripture, you see him in the neighbor, you see him in the coworker, you see him in your spouse, you see him in your kids. Everywhere you look, because your heart is pure from the inside out, because you are desiring the righteousness of God. And when that is the case, everywhere you look, there he is. It's an opportunity to ascend his holy hill because I've been given the invitation by Jesus Christ the righteous. I can see him now so that I can see him then. Every other best option leads to division and it leads to chaos. So what does that mean for all of us? It means this. There is a progression here. I want us to be able to be honest with ourselves as much as we can. I want us to be honest with ourselves and I want us to think about what is it that we're trying to accomplish in this world? What is it that drives us? What is it that takes our thoughts captive? What is it that we are able to see? What is it that we're consumed with? What lies from our own deceitful hearts are we still listening to? What kind of 
pure life and self-expression are we trying to achieve so that we can be better people, so we can arrive. What I'm trying to do is to knock all of the legs out from underneath that thinking for us to understand that our best efforts lead to death. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And if there are things in your life that you've convinced yourself are pure, I assure you Jesus Christ is the only pure you need. And when you accept him and you're living in his Christ righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We do want to be able to see you. I say we do. Um, We're wanting that heightened view. We want to arrive at your holy hill. Lord, we we live in a society who to believe you is not as a sure thing as believing ourself. Trusting your heart. I mean, I know my heart, right? So, of course, I want to follow my heart. But, Lord, I pray that we would learn what it looks like to to put you first as a singular focus. I ask, Lord, this morning that you would remind us you would cut through all of the hardness of our heart. You would give us hearts of flesh that they may beat for your kingdom again. I pray that we would spend time with you so that we could learn you and see you. And then when we're not together face to face, we'd still be able to see you cultivating a relationship. So Lord, I just pray for your people this morning that we would be encouraged to put our own heart aside, no matter how much we demand or deserve it, the rights to our own freedoms and self-expression, that we would put those aside and we would believe your heart more than we believe our heart. That's my prayer. Lord, may we believe your heart. May we receive your heart and say no to our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, I think of David, King David, Psalm 51. The context is David, you know, had uh, made a lot of mistakes, spent a lot of time in places that he shouldn't have been in. And uh, he asked the question, and in his, his sin, his adultery, ultimately murder, he asked the Lord to cleanse, do you remember? Cleanse my heart. Lord, if there be any secret sins inside of me, purify my heart, make me white. Verse six, he says, behold, you desire truth where? In the inward parts. It's not what a person wears. It's not what a person, you know, it, it, it's not what, how a person looks. Those things, God are, God's not concerned about those external things. You desire truth in the inward parts, Lord. 
And in the hidden parts, you make me know wisdom. And then in verse 10, here's what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think the only way to step forward is to take a step back and to repent for following our culture's best advice instead of being the people of God and following the heart of Jesus Christ. So let's take just a moment and ask the Lord to reveal to us anywhere in our life that we might be believing a lie and we're hoping to build a wonderful life of self-expression and freedom and it might be the noose around our neck. And Jesus is offering us life, his life, that actually gets to ascend the throne and spend eternity with the Father. Let's take just a moment and pray. Lord, I pray that this moment of prayer continues as we go to our separate places. I pray that you would burn in us a desire but I know that you won't do the work apart from our own will. So while we're trying to express our freedoms, express ourself and demand our rights, I pray that we would take ourself off the pedestal and we would take up your cross and follow you. Help us to be obedient to your will, not our own. Help us to be obedient to your heart because it is your heart that beats inside of us. Like the apostle Paul said, this one thing I do, and that's to long for glory. So Lord, I pray that we too would be guilty of, that, of desiring that one thing that leads to the pure of heart that we might see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.